Um, as I said, uh, parenting is hard, which is why I invited our guest speaker today to come and bring us God's word. Pastor Jim Ohm is here from River Church um, to present God's word today. Pastor Jim uh, planted River Church in 2004, um, and it's a church in Teaneck. And today um, I invited him to come and, and preach for us. Um, I have a special connection with Pastor Jim uh, because of a couple of reasons. Funny enough, we grew up in the same town, went to the same high school, uh, went to the same seminary, Westminster Seminary, ended up at the, the, in the same denomination in the PCA, um, and ended up serving in Bergen County um, as neighbors together. Except he did all of those things a couple of years before me, uh, just a couple of years before me. Um, but it's, it's been interesting uh, to be doing ministry as neighbors, and I really consider Pastor Jim one of my older brothers in the faith, and an older brother pastor to me. Um, he has four children, um, and they are 21 to 15. They go two years apart, 21, 19, 17, 15. And uh, my brother, Pastor Jim, has been a, a tremendous father to them. He's a pastor and brother I learned from. And um, I'm really honored that he would come and, and preach to us about parenting today because it's, all of us parents, we have a hard time, right? And so today, let's welcome Pastor Jim as he presents us God's Word. Thank you. Good to be with you this morning, and thank you, Pastor Dave, for that warm introduction, and so good to see many of you. I met some of you three years ago at the retreat. I was really blessed by our time together, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would really anoint our time together this morning. I know that we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and it's an opportunity for us to spend time with family and friends and to grow in love, but it's us as an opportunity to apply what God is teaching us, especially in the context of a church family. So with that in mind, would you please turn with me in your Bibles? We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and I want us to look at verse 1, which sets the context for which the commands of God flow from this amazing chapter. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I want to read from the ESV, and it says in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 12, Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into your presence, thank you for the gift of testimonies, the gift of praise, the gift of prayer, but most of all for the gift of your Son, that we may know you and to know our purpose as children of God, as brothers and sisters to one another. May we grow together as a spiritual family that honors you, that have marriages that are focused on the love and the mercy of Christ, that we will cultivate families that will reflect your truth, your wisdom, and your compassion. We cannot do this without you, but we need you, Lord God. We thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love verse 1. I love Romans 12 as an amazing chapter, but verse 1 is the context. It is the power by which we follow through with God's commands. His imperatives in Scripture are always rooted in the indicative of what He's done. God never commands you to do anything that He does not equip you to do. And the way He equips you to love, honestly, unlovable people, is His love for you. 
The way we forgive people who are hard to forgive is because he has forgiven you of so much more. So it's in view of God's mercy that we're about to apply the commands of Romans 12 in this passage. If we go on to verse 9, it is in that context we're going to look at verse 9 and following where it says, love must be sincere or let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Brothers and sisters, when you celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday and you had certain relatives that came to your home that you were not excited to see? Did you greet them and say, oh, it's so wonderful to see you. It's been too long. We missed you so much. But when they left on Thursday night or Friday morning, like, phew, I'm glad they left. I could barely hold it another minute longer. But guess who hears you saying those words? Guess who hears you and sees you saying and doing those things? It is your children. Your children are like sponges that observe what you say, they observe what you do, and they will mimic what you do. They will mimic what you say. I think many of you know that among most churches across denominations, across ethnicities, whether it's a black church, white church, Hispanic church, or Asian church, across the board, the vast majority of children who grew up in youth groups in those churches will walk away from the faith as young adults. In fact, some people say it's high as 80% of all denominations, of all ethnicities. And the number one reason why they say, why they leave, is because of the hypocrisy of the parents. They say they love God, but they talk badly about people behind their back. You'll see even maybe at this church, where people will say, oh, it's good to see you. How was your week? You're doing well? Yeah, you got that big Christian smile. But then when they're gone, you're like, oh, I can't stand that person. That person's so self-absorbed. They only care about how good their hair looks, you know? And guess once again, who sees you in that insincerity? Your children hear what you say. They see what you do, and they will mimic you. And sadly, some will walk away from the faith for a time, because of our insincerity, our hypocrisy. Therefore, God tells us, in the context of his love, in the context of his mercy, our love is called to be sincere. We must hate what is evil, we must abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Brothers and sisters, do you hate gossip? Some of you don't hate gossip. Some of you, ooh, that's juicy. That's really juicy. I want to hear that again. Abhor what is evil. When you hear someone speaking bad about someone in their absence, you know what Romans, you know what Matthew 18 tells us to do? Well, you know, if you have a problem with that person, maybe you should go talk to them. When you have a problem with someone else, you shouldn't talk about them to other people. You should go to them and try to work it out. Brothers and sisters, what separates most churches, which causes division in the church, what causes most church splits, isn't some scandalous sin like sexual immorality or financial impropriety, though those things happen. The number one sin that divides churches is gossip. 
number one thing that separates churches and causes church fights and splits is gossip. Do you gossip about people here at Mosaic? Then God is speaking to you. The only way you're going to have healthy families, the only way you're going to be a healthy parent is if you abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. When you look at someone, do you see what's wrong with them or do you see what's right about them? You know, I know some of us grew up in cultures where we analyze people, we compare ourselves with people. And when we do that, we are often judgmental. And God is saying, love must be sincere. If you want to have a healthy church family, if you want to have a healthy church, a healthy family, then you must grow in the love of Christ. That you must forgive as he forgives. You must love the way he loves. Letting his love overcome and cover over a multitude of sin. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brothers and sisters, do you love each other? Are you devoted to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? If you are not sincerely looking to the interests of others in this church, you might say, well, I just really care about the health of my family. But that selfishness will be manifested in your children. And God is saying, in order to be a genuine Christian, you must care for your brothers and sisters. But you must also care for one another. And you must outdo one another in honor. Now, that is specifically towards marriages. I know Pastor Doug preached a couple of weeks ago on having Christ-centered marriages. But I love how the Bible continues to complement each other. And the Bible is very clear. For us to have healthy Christian families, we must have healthy, Christ-centered marriages. You cannot be a godly parent if you are not a godly spouse. Brothers, those of you who are married, I want to encourage you. Do you honor your spouse above yourself? Do you look to her interests above your own, even on Sunday afternoon football season? <laughs> While she's spending hours cleaning up this huge church lunch, Sunday lunch, are you going to help her or are you going to watch Giants play? They're having a terrible season anyway. <laughs> really, really. God is saying to you, brothers, outdo one another in honoring them and saying, you know what? My wife is much more compassionate than I am. My wife is much more patient than I am. My wife is so much more prayerful and generous than I am. Hold on to what is good. Abhor what is evil. And wives, I'm not going to let you off the hook either. I'm equitable. And brothers, you're like, amen to that. <laughs> wives, do you look at your husband like one of your children? You know, you have... <laughs> Do you say, yes, I really don't have one son, but I have two sons. The big kid at home, the one who spends hours on video games late at night, is not my children, it's my husband. And once again, you critique them in your mind, and you're like, they're just a big kid. Yes, they may be a big kid, but we are called to honor one another 
above ourselves, to say, thank you, Lord, for the husband you gave me. Help me to support him in leading our family well, to encourage him not to tear him down in front of my children. Brothers and sisters, if you want to have healthy marriages, families, you must have a healthy Christ-centered marriage. In fact, if you want your son, women, if you want your son to marry a godly Christian wife one day, treat your husband the way you will want your daughter-in-law to treat your son. And brothers, if you want godly Christian son-in-laws one day, treat your wife the way you will want your future son-in-law to treat your daughters. Gain God's perspective of Christian families and live out who you were meant to be in the context of his love, in the view of his mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice every single day. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, and Friday. It is only through his love that we can begin to love one another truly and sacrificially. And that's the reason why many of our families are in disarray. There's, there's a reason why our marriages have experienced so much conflict. It's because we're loving each other selfishly. There is a selfish love. It's called worldly love. What have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. Yes. Some of you are like, amen to that. There's no amen to that. Brothers and sisters, love is not about what you get. It's about what you give because we have received everything that we need from Christ. When we grow in his love, when we stay connected to his love, when we abide in his presence, we will be transformed in his presence. You know, I love that song that we just sang. Here I am at your feet in my brokenness. I am complete. When we sing those songs, it's not just about feeling that emotion now, but living out that light of his love every single day. That it is in my brokenness that Christ loved me and honored me and calls me his very own. And when I have that, I could love and live in a way that builds others up and not tears them down. He tells us, going on to verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, I remember that retreat three years ago that we had here. I was so blessed. I was so encouraged. But like many of you who've experienced this awesome experience at a retreat, what happens when the retreat's over and you go back to work on Monday? You lose it, do we not? We lose that fervor. We lose that energy. Why is that? Well, I can tell you because, you know, for my, myself, I have this 10-year-old laptop computer. And I have to plug it in all the time to have it work. Because the moment you unplug that laptop, it shuts down. You know, some of you have computers like that. The battery is so old, it will not work unless it's plugged in. Well, guess what? We are spiritually that laptop computer. And we have to be plugged in to the Holy Spirit all the time for us to live in a way that honors the Lord. But the moment we disengage, the moment we unplug, we become self-centered again. And some of you experience that at work. Some of you experience that at school. Some of you experience that in your home. The reason why you're not experiencing God's love at your home is that you're not plugged in to his love 
You're not plugged in to his spirit. And say, Lord, help me to see myself, to see my family, to see my friends and brothers and sisters at church in, in the light of your grace and forgiveness. And I will grow in fervor to the point that in verse 12, we could be joyful in hope, we could be patient in affliction, we could be faithful in prayer. And once again, the commands of God, the imperatives of God are always rooted in the indicative of what he's done. It is in the context of his sacrifice that we could live as sacrifices to honor him. But that is in the area of being joyful in hope. Now, I know there's a lot of single people here this morning, and we're glad that you're worshiping the Lord, and we're glad that you're trying to honor the Lord in your singleness. But some of you single people are like, I can't wait to get married. Marriage is going to be so awesome. I'm going to marry the perfect spouse, and marriage is going to be great. Well, ask your married friends how good marriage is. It's tough. In fact, people say that if you want to learn how selfish you are, you get married. And if you want to know how really selfish you are, you'll have children. Because you'll see it. In your, it's your turn to get the baby at two in the morning. It's your feeding. But at that moment, are you honoring one another above yourself? God is speaking to us and saying, it is only as we are connected to the Holy Spirit, growing in his love, that we can be joyful in hope. Listen, single brothers and sisters, if you are not fulfilled as a single child of God, you will never be fulfilled as a married child of God. You have the greatest spouse in the world already. And when you know his love for you, he will prepare you to be the spouse that God wants you to be. And brothers and sisters, those of you who are married and want to have children and are hoping to have children soon and are struggling to have children, God is saying to you, if you cannot be complete without children, you won't be complete with children. And God is saying to you, allow my hope of what I have already done for you as my child to die on the cross and to rise again to give you the new life that you were meant to have to honor one another, to love one another, to be fulfilled and be joyful in the hope of who you have in Christ. He tells us also to be patient in affliction, which is really tough. Because some of you feel afflicted right now in your marital status, in your childless status. And God is saying to you, be patient. Trust in me. I know what is best. Let me work in my time. And therefore, we could be faithful in prayer. When we're patient in affliction and saying, Lord, it's not my time, it's your time. Whether it's five years or ten years, your time is perfect. And even if it's 40 years when I get to heaven, that's okay too. I want to let go of my desires to honor you, and he will lead you. And you will grow in faithfulness and prayer. Listen, some of you have been praying for a long time about a spouse. Some of you have been praying a long time for your children. Some of you have been praying a long time for the salvation of loved ones and families. But don't give up. Grow in the context of his love for you, his steadfast, eternal love for you to grow in joyfulness and hope, patience and affliction, and to grow in faithfulness and prayer. 
because he will work through it. You know, one of the things that my wife and I prayed for for many years, and I met my wife over 30 years ago in college, is that we pray for the salvation of her father. It was really, really tough because when we first started dating, he would joke around. So, uh, Jim, I heard you want to be a pastor. I heard they don't make a lot of money. How are you going to provide for my daughter? I said, well, I know that when we seek the Lord, he'll provide. But he was constantly making fun of my faith and my calling. And we would just pray for him year after year after year. But it wasn't until after 20 years and a near-death experience in a serious car accident that he gave his life to the Lord. And those 20 years of prayer are not vain. They are God's purpose. And in a sense, it's kind of like they're like the incense in the prayer bowl that God will lift up to heaven. You might be praying for years for your children, and they might, you know, act nice in youth group, but when they get home, they're terrors. And some of you parents are saying, amen. And you're praying for their genuine salvation. Keep praying. Be faithful in prayer. I want to tell you that as a parent of two college students and two high school students, you will not really know where your child stands in their faith until they go out from underneath your roof. When they get to college, it's going to be really hard because you've got to let go of control. I know that's really hard for many of you, but you have to let go. They are God's first. And saying, Lord, you know what they need. Whatever heartache, whatever broken boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, whatever failing classes that they will go through, work in them for their good to have a genuine love for you. You know what is best for them. And that's what happens as you grow in prayer. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. You know, one of the things I enjoy the most that I like to do with my children is to serve food to the hungry with them. Because, you know, they hear me preach almost every Sunday. They hear us having family devotions regularly. But when they see faith in actions, words Actions speak louder to words for most young people. Most young people today are visual learners. They observe and learn through watching. And when we are serving with them, feeding the hungry, caring for the elderly, that speaks to them about the genuineness of our faith. Remember the number one reason why most kids who grew up in youth group stop going to church as young adults? is because of the hypocrisy of their parents. We need to have genuine faith ourselves. And we want to honor the Lord, especially in how we serve the community. In fact, I remember when we first started going to a nursing home in Teaneck. It was called Brightside Manor, just like a few blocks down the street from our church. When I went initially, I really didn't like to go because, you know, it's a little depressing going to a nursing home. And some of the older people, they tend to smell a little bit. But my kids would hear me say things like that after we would visit. I knew it was impacting them. And I needed to repent. And say, kids, let's let's pray for our visit. Let's pray to have rightful hearts. Let's pray that God would use us as an instrument of his blessing. And through those prayers, God began to change my heart, where I was actually looking forward and wanting to go. And I could see the love of Jesus literally spreading, not only through me, but through my children and the love for the elderly in our community. When we serve with our families, with our brothers and sisters, with our children, it honors Jesus. We need to practice hospitality. But then it goes on in verse 14 to say, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This past Thanksgiving, some of you had your in-laws come visit you. 
and some of you look at your in-laws like they're outlaws. <laughs> and your kids, once again, observe what you are saying, what you're doing, especially when they're not around. And God is saying to you, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And that's one of the hardest things in life, is it not? When someone wrongs you, when your mother-in-law, when your father-in-law puts you down or jabs at you, that you want to jab back. You want to jab back. You want to talk about them. But do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with God's goodness, with God's mercy, God's love, God's forgiveness. And once again, we can't do it on our own. We have to stay plugged in to the Lord. It is actually impossible for you to love those who persecute you in your human strength. But what is impossible with mankind is possible with Christ. And he has given us the tools and his spirit to live lives that can truly reflect his love and mercy to undeserving people. Listen, there are members of your family that really are unlovable. They're cantankerous, they gossip, they speak badly, but God is not calling you to focus on their sin against you, but to focus on Jesus and to see them as the way Jesus sees them, as a lost child who's acting like an orphan, who needs the love of Christ. So instead of speaking badly upon them where your children will observe you, pray for them, pray for their well-being, and your children will also observe that, and they will mimic you there too, to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Once again, the imperatives of God are rooted in what he has done for us. And the only way that we could rejoice with others when they rejoice is because of the love of Christ. It's really hard because I know some of you are competitive. Some of you went to elite universities. Some of you had this incredibly hard immigrant work ethic. But when someone else succeeds and you don't, you become jealous. God wants you to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, some of you who have middle school children are already encouraging them to look into going to the best high schools, whether it's a private high school or something called Bergen County Academies. I don't know if you guys heard about that. But in Bergen County, there's this thing called BCA. And some of you college students are like, I'm traumatized. My parents like forced me to go to Hagwan in middle school or uh, this ed- school education in order for me to go into the school. I didn't get in. I'm just like, my whole life is like a, a wreck. We'll talk about soul issues later. But we want to tell you that when your friend gets into that school and your child doesn't, you can rejoice with them and you should rejoice with them. When your friend's child gets into an Ivy League school and your child doesn't, you could rejoice with them genuinely because one, they need your prayers, <laughs> and two, we want to reflect God's genuine love for one another, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, this is really hard, but we are called to be genuine in how we express empathy, but also pleasure with our brothers and sisters. He goes on, verse 16, to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, 
but be willing to associate with people with low position. Do not be conceited. Pride is the root sin behind every other sin. And God calls us to hate the sin of pride, to hate the sin of looking down upon other people, to hate the sin of judging other people, because God hates it. And he died on the cross for our conceit, for our pride. And that's what causes division among families and among friends. We need to consider one another a better than ourselves because of what Christ has done. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of God. Verse 17. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When those who wrong you or hurt you do something that just gets underneath your skin, do not respond in kind, but respond with kindness. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good, even if it comes from your children. You know, those of you parents who have teenage children know that your parents, your, your children will say some horrible things to you, especially during the teenage years. The hormones are raging, and they'll say things like, I hate you, mom. I hate you, dad. And some of you with like, younger kids are like, I don't want to look forward to that day. But it will come. Because the bigger the child, the bigger the blessing, but also the bigger the challenges. And we need to say, Lord, help me. I need to live in the light of your mercy, your love, to love even my own children who are cursing me, to forgive them, to be patient with them, because that is the way I was with you, and yet you loved me. Help me to bless those who curse. Bless and not curse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, some of you are not experiencing peace in your families right now because you're not living a Christ-centered family. You're not living a Christ-centered marriage. You're not living a Christ-centered life. But it is only through the love of Christ, the love that he has given us, the love he empowers us to love, to forgive, to be patient, that we could speak the truth to one another. Listen, I know some of you grew up in households where you were traumatized, where there was some serious corporal punishment. It would be uh, assault these days of what you went through. And it is traumatic, and that is a soul one for you as an adult. But it does not justify what, for you to beat your children when you're angry. You might think, oh, it's not as bad as I had it. It's still child abuse when you spank out of anger and it leaves a mark. God wants you to love as he loves. He wants you to practice discipline, not to punish them, but to instruct them. Do you know the difference? Some of you are like, I don't know the difference. Now, this is God's opportunity. Say, Lord, help me. I need your wisdom. I need to be plugged in to your love, to your spirit, and he'll lead you through that. It is only by the grace of God can we have Christian families that reflect him. I want to leave you with one application from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and following. I was doing uh, regular devotions with my children at an early age when they were in 
preschool and, ner- and elementary, we would read the Jesus Storybook Bible. I know some of you have that Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a wonderful Bible to have and read with preschoolers and elementary school students. It's great for parents, too, because it's so Christocentric. But as my kids got older, we started opening up the Bible and reading it straight from Scripture. So one of the first devotions I had with my children was Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Amen. And my kids said, Amen. Mm-hmm. And then my daughter, who was in the fifth grade, said, Dad, can I volunteer to do tomorrow's devotional? I said, sure, honey, you can do it. And she opened up the next night to verse 4. And verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I'm so glad that my kids know the scriptures. Sometimes. But most of the time, God speaks to me through my children. He's telling me that I have exasperated not only my daughter, but my daughters and my sons at times because I'm living a self-centered life that I've disciplined in anger. I've spanked them out of anger. And I realize that when I do, I need to ask for forgiveness. Some of you parents have never asked your children for forgiveness. But if you really believe in grace, the grace that we sang, if you spank out of anger, if you yell at your children out of frustration and irritability, You need to go to them and say, that was wrong for yelling at you like that in anger. That was wrong for spanking you in frustration. Would you please forgive me? And when you start living in the light of the gospel, your children would see the reality of God's love in you, God's truth in you. Brothers and sisters, we are called to have Christ-centered families that flow from his love. And the only way we can do it is not just by reading the Bible with our children, but living the Bible, living God's word out as we are connected to his spirit to honor Jesus in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this challenging message, not only on parenting, but on Christian families and Christian living, that we need you, that we need to depend upon you, that we need to rely on you, that we need to be patient because of your patience with us, that we need to forgive as you have forgiven us, that we may love the way you love us. We ask, Lord, that you would work through us to minister to our children and our future children and even our future grandchildren, that we would have a generation of faithfulness that reflects generations to come because of what you have done for us. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor because you are worthy. You're able to heal our soul wounds. Lord, some of us have scars from our own childhood and we're projecting onto our children and we're justifying our behavior saying they're not having it half as bad as I had it, but that does not honor you. I need you, Lord. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your wisdom because I can't do it alone. We need you, Lord. Show us, guide us by your spirit. Help us, Lord, that at your feet and in our brokenness, we are complete through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.